Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me as always is Brad Hallier. And Brad, this last week, I, I was really having trouble um, determining what season it was as I attempted and accomplished to call soccer, baseball, and football all within a five-day span of one another. So uh, kind of help me out. What, what season are we in? I'm not sure because my oldest daughter lives in Hayes, and I think they got a little bit of snow last week even. Uh, <laughs> nothing accumulation, but still, it's April, and they're, they're, she's talking about getting snow up there. So that's kind of the beauty of Kansas. You know, you see all four seasons in one day sometimes, and for sports this spring, we're kind of seeing all three seasons yeah, at the same time. Yeah, we are. Well, let's start off with uh, what felt like fall on Saturday for me as the Sterling Warriors uh, played their only home game this spring out of five. It was senior day. It was a uh, five o'clock kickoff. The weather felt fallish. It had been kind of warm during the day, cool in the evening. And then uh, Alyssa Freeman joined me for this game, Brad, and we were treated to a fantastic college football game with the Warriors picking up the win uh, 21 to 14. And it was just, as we'll look at the stats here in a little bit, it, it was just as close or closer than that final score indicated. Yeah, it definitely looks like it that, uh, you know, I think Tabor had it looks like about a 10-yard advantage. And you look at a lot of the other stats, are very similar pretty much across the board. Um, boy, you really got to like how this season ended for Sterling. Uh, obviously, the, the they had some expectations going in. And it was hard, with, hard enough with COVID and the split season and all that. But what I really like is how they never lost hope. They never gave up on the season. They've had some great moments here in the spring. Just kind of like that consistency over four quarters. They would play well for the first quarter, maybe well into the third quarter. But to see them pick up a win on the last game of the season like this, uh, we were talking about this la- uh, for our last recording, that you know, just something to build on for the next season. And if it's a win, great, so be it. But if it's not, you know, just, just continue to build. And you were saying that, you know, it wasn't really a team that seemed to be winless at this point in the season. You know, they, they had their heads high. And, uh, you know, de- definitely kudos to Sterling. Uh, the, a, good, a good way for them to end the season. Yeah, I mean, the stats, uh, first downs were three different. Total yards were ten different. Total plays were two different. Um, and it really came down to – um, as it always seems to do in a game this close when it was a, a, a 7-7 game uh, into the late into the second quarter, Sterling was able, their defense was able to get a fumble recovery um, at the Tabor 10, get that short field touchdown to, to grab the lead. And that ended up, as you could tell, was, as we looked at the staff, that was the determining factor. And by far this spring, the, the defense played well against uh, Avila they got a, a big boost they got a, a a kid named Coben Honey he had been doing a military service after basic he just got back the week before this game he was in good shape he practiced all week so he was able to come in and play linebacker uh, it moved um, some people back to their normal Caleb Lambert had been out of position playing linebacker he got to go back to safety um, that gave him a big boost, but that one turnover there, which Sterling in this game was, I believe, plus two or three uh, in the turnover department, actually plus three, um, that turned out to be the deciding factor. I know it was second quarter, but in the end, that was the that was the play they needed. Yeah, again, in, in close games like this, how often do you see that turnovers? And, and actually, most across uh, all levels of football, turnovers often make the difference. I mean, I, I remember talking to a former JUCO coach about – how the, the 
the percentage of victory just goes up exponentially when you have a positive, even just one. But when it's like, I think three or four, it's just increased by like almost 90% uh, likelihood of winning. So uh, it's not really surprised when you see how even the stats were, what the biggest reason was. And that obviously was the turnover battle. I mean, it was amazing. Chance Whitehead, the Sterling quarterback, he, he left the game last week at Avila and it turned out to be a high ankle sprain which are those are the worst. And I was actually in the football office on Friday when the trainer came in um, to tell head coach Chase Hansen. He said, well, he said uh, he's good to try it and see if he tweaks it. And and coach just said, well, if he's going to tweak it, let's make it tomorrow. Um, (laughs) So he played and you never would have known it, Brad. He was on a, on a bad wheel, 24 carries, 179 yards rushing actually got him offensive player of the week in the conference. I just saw that come out today. Um, and he just, he gutted it out and he led that team. He only had four passing yards, which is amazing. You win a game in this day and time with four passing yards, but, um, he gutted it out like, um, several other guys that were beat up and it was, it was, it was just a great football game and great. Like you mentioned to see them end on uh, such a high note with all these freshmen Six of 11 of their seniors are going to take that extra year of eligibility and return next year. They'll get some guys that missed the year um, that were really good players back from injury. So there's certainly um, reason to believe that multiple wins could be on the table for this team next fall. Yeah, and, and that's something else about all these freshmen that played this year. It, it was essentially they're playing with house money. They, they don't lose a year of eligibility, so they're still freshmen going into next year. And that's that's just going to pay dividends down the road. Uh, you, you hate to look too far into the future because you want to win now. But, you know, after winning that game, there's something to build on. And maybe they can, you know, go into next season and, and you know, maybe finish mid, mid of the pack in the KCAC, which they can then build on for the next year. And maybe here in a couple of years, we're talking about Sterling, you know, competing or winning a KCAC championship. Yeah, I know. They, I was told there was some recruits in the stands, and what better of a game to watch, see all these freshmen getting these opportunities and know and see that. And if you think, oh, maybe, you know, if I come in next year as a freshman, maybe that group and our our class is going to be the ones that said, hey, we, we, we were able to turn this thing back around and, and go on and, and be successful and maybe even win a conference championship. So I think it was um, an all-around um, – Great day and a great way for spring football to end for Sterling. And, and while we're on football, Brad, is KU ever going to hire a f- new football coach? They finally got an AD. Travis Goff um, is his name. And they, they keep saying that the field is um, kind of pared down at least what they're saying publicly to maybe three guys, Jeff Monken from Army, uh, Willie Fritz from Tulane, and Lance Leopold from Buffalo. But um, – Boy, I, I just see each I, – I know you don't want to do it too quick and make an, yet another mistake in a long line of them, but, boy, you're getting further and further behind on the recruiting deal here and the more that they wait. I'm wondering if maybe there's something kind of unspoken or otherwise in place where perhaps the interim coach will coach this next season with the understanding that, you know, you're, you're not going to be our, our long-term solution and bring someone in after the fall season. You know, I'm, I'm just, of course, speculating here right now, but I have heard that theory before that perhaps the interim will be coaching this season with the understanding that after, since they're so late in the game in recruiting and all that, to hire someone this late, just, just speculation. But I, it, it does make a little bit of sense where maybe they're like, okay, you know, 
we're, we're going to hire, we're, we're going to kind of agree in principle. And then after the season is over, we'll, we'll make it work. But of course, you know, it, it's, it's April. I'm not sure if you really, really want to do that this early uh, and go let the other coach go through an entire season knowing he's taking a job. I don't know that. I, I think that probably that they, they need to hire someone here just to kind of get going. I mean, KU's not competing for a big 12 championship anytime soon. So, Hey, let's just get him in there. Let's get going. And uh, you and I are obviously on favor, uh, are very high on Munkin. Yeah, and accompanying the article I read today about the new AD, Travis Goff was also an, an article, I think it was something entitled "While no, Why Nobody Wants the Triple Option and Why It Doesn't Make Any Sense. It just, he seems to be, even people at in, in Lawrence are dead set against a triple option offense coming to, um, to KU. And, and, and for the life of me, uh, we've seen the success of it, the few teams that run it, how successful Army's been over the last few years the run that Georgia Tech had, Navy, uh, Air Force, all have been very good. Uh, I'm just baffled why people would be so dead set against it because it has been proven to win when it's run cr- properly and, and, and a coach is given time to install it. So it, that, that's kind of baffling me why it seems like that's kind of getting blackballed from the get-go. Well, nothing else has worked, has it? <laughs> Why not? I, I mean, mean, come on. Yeah, I think KU's at that point where, look, nothing else has worked. Why not try? Go outside the box. Let's just try something different, something that no one else is doing. And when I say no one else, I mean nobody else in the Big 12. I know Big 12 is about big offenses and big numbers and all that, but that makes it even more enticing, I think, for the Jayhawks to go out and get uh, someone that can run the triple option. I, I, I don't know. Um, and of course you bring that army discipline by hiring Munkin, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'd really, I, the more I think about it, I can't come up with a valid excuse why they shouldn't do it. If you get the right guy and it's not a triple option fair, Hey, fair game, but you know what? They've tried everything else. It seems. And all I can say is why not? What? Because that's, that's not what sells tickets. That's not what everybody else in the big 12 does. I don't care. You tried everything else. Let's try something even more different this time. And then the Lance Leopold, I think what gives people caution there, nothing personally against him. It's the name head coach of Buffalo behind him because they've gone that route once with Turner Gill, which was an, a, one of the in the line of disasters here recently. So um, I don't know. I have no idea. I just uh, I'm not sure what they are doing, which I guess would just fit with the last however many years <laughs> of KU football. But um it's still puzzling to me that it's it's taking this long. Yeah, they, I and I, it, look, you want to get the right guy in there. There, there's there's no doubt about that. So make sure you get the right hire instead of jumping to it right away. But they do need to get someone in there because uh, heck, spring football in Big Twelve is is coming to a close here. So you need to get someone in there and start getting ready for the fall season because you know we know the Big Twelve is a grind and. It's not going to be easy, but even more reason, I say, to get someone different in there. We'll keep you up to date um, and certainly talk about it when a new coach um, is hired. Well, being spring, we got a lot of baseball we can talk about. Brad, after the first week of play, the Royals are four and three, um, heading back home to host the Anaheim Angels, who are off to a six and three start. Um it's one reason I hate seeing the Royals play in the Central, Brad, is when they go out on the road in April, they have to go to these cold-weather cities. You think of April weather in Minnesota, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit, which they were in Cleveland and Chicago, and all of a sudden the bats went silent. 
which they tend to do in cold weather, but they were able to manage to go two and two, one and one against both each uh, Cleveland and Chicago, winning Sunday night an extra 4-3 over Chicago. Um, so, you know, that's that's your goal on the road is to start <laughs> 500 on the road, and then we'll, we'll move forward from there. But what do you think of the four and three starts so far for the KC Royals? Well, I saw a stat from ESPN that said there's only been three major league teams that have not lost the series yet this year, and one of those teams is the Royals. So well, they, you know, win, win win one series and split two, but still, that's not bad. You'll if 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 you can avoid losing series, you're going to be well well ahead of the game. Um, you know, just concern I have right now. It's just a small sample size, though. Uh, I guess I shouldn't say concern. Let's talk about the positives. Whit Merrifield. I mean, this guy is oh, a legitimate my. legitimate superstar. It's just too bad he's playing. He's just played on some really bad teams. If if he's putting up the numbers he was he's putting up now on the 14 and 15 teams, we'd be talking Royals Hall of Fame for this guy already. And, you know, he's, he's already off to a 367 start, three home runs, 10 RBIs. Um, he's just remarkable. I mean, his OPS is over 1,000 so far. Again, small sample size, but Whit Merrifield's been doing this long enough where this is not a small sample size. Whit Merrifield is a bona fide superstar in the American League. And how many of those guys, you know, when you talk about superstars, you talk about, they could do it at multiple positions too. Right. He can play um, certainly second base. I'm sure if they were forced into it, he could play uh, the other side of the infield short or third. If he had to, he can play the outfield and what he's doing with the bat. Yeah. We're talking definitely bona fide all-star um, with his start and uh, the pitching. Eh, it's been, it's been okay. There's been good, some very good outings. Danny Duffy had a really good outing. Um, the bullpen, um, has been pretty good so far. So I think um, if you're worried about the pitching, you probably still have that worry in the back. You'd like to see um, the Ben attendees and those of the world um, that are off to slow starts. I know it's just a week. Um, I, I believe they will pick it up. But I, I think so far uh, people, including myself, are are happy with a four and three start. Yeah, I think uh, most Royals fans would be. And, you know, the question is, you know, how long can they maintain that level of consistency? And hopefully they can maintain it for long stretches this year. I think we've mentioned this before. I don't think either one of us expect the Royals to be in contention for the American League Central this year. But if they can just maintain the level of consistency, avoid that infamous 12-game midseason losing streak that always seems to bite their worst teams, that just just crushes them, uh, I think it could be still a, a – a, good building block for the Royals to build toward uh, what 24 and 25. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we'll, as always, we'll check in with the Royals most every week and, and see how they're doing. But right now four and three at home hosting the angels starting here on uh, Monday evening. Well, speaking of baseball, Brad and series that are got away, one got away from the Sterling warriors this past weekend. I called the double header on Friday um, Sterling was in eighth place heading into that series in the conference top six qualify for the postseason tournament. They were playing a three and 27 St. Mary team that came in and Brad St. Mary ended up taking two out of three from the Warriors in Sterling. The, the, the doubleheader we had, they had a seven, one lead in the nine inning game uh, going into the eighth inning. They had a seven to four lead going into the ninth inning and dropped that game 12 to seven that just the wheels fell off. Um, their closer who's really solid came in in the ninth, couldn't get an out. Um, 
it just turned into a disaster. They got behind in game two, ended up coming back and winning that game, holding on in seven innings, five to three, right as the rain and the cold was coming in. Um, and then the third game on Sunday, they got uh, beat handily by St. Mary. So it's kind of a, a head scratcher right now for the Warriors. And that was a series that at minimum they needed to take two, if not all three, to have a chance to get in the tournament. Dropping two or three, that that's really putting them behind the eight ball. Yeah, it's just disappointing. And just also the manner in, in which they lost those games, like you said, the ninth inning. Uh, meltdown and then to, to me it just kind of seems like that it's maybe a team where confidence is not very high right now and a good win in five to three in the second game and a good bounce back win at that it would have been very easy to crumble in that mm-hmm. second game of the doubleheader on Friday but then just to come back on Sunday and just get clobbered 13 to four I would just have to say and and you're around them more than I am but just that belief maybe confidence maybe just isn't very high right now I think you're exactly right. You could, you could see it in the body language when, when the wheels, like I said, started to fall off a little bit in the eighth and certainly in the ninth inning of that um, game one loss. So I, I do think they're still really in search of their identity. Um, they struggle. They have opportunities, you know, runners in scoring position. They struggle to get those really key hits when they need them. And uh, it doesn't get any easier. They're going to play Kansas Wesleyan in a single game. I believe on Tuesday, then they're going to go to Ottawa, who right now is kind of um, in the upper half of the middle. They're right in that fourth, fifth slot right now. Um, go to Ottawa for three games. And again, if they if they don't win maybe two or at least three out of four this week, they, they may, may be just getting a little too far behind to go to the postseason. And I think I think people thought that was a reasonable goal for this season. Yeah, it goes back to just being able to win series. And when you have mm-hmm. – and, and frankly, against a team like St. Mary, you almost hate to say that winning the series probably wasn't good enough that they knew, probably needed to sweep that series, and they ended up losing it. So, But, you know, even two out of three, then, then take two out of three from Ottawa, then maybe take two out of three from York, and you're probably right in the middle of it there. So uh, just it's they're probably going to need a sweep uh, – probably need to go, I would say, five and one of these last six games to have a real chance at finishing the top six. Yeah, I think one of the coaches had said starting the St. Mary series, it kind of felt like they were going to need in the neighborhood of nine or ten more wins to to get to surpass that sixth spot or better. And, they, you know, I think they were probably factoring in two or three against St. Mary and just getting one. Um, the math just starts getting tougher and tougher and, and next game we'll have we'll have the uh, York doubleheader coming up here uh, in about a week and a half uh, speaking of baseball finally happening at the new stadium Riverfront Stadium there in Wichita I saw this um, on the news some that it wasn't the wind surge their season hasn't quite started yet they're off to a as the minor leagues are they're all delayed a month um, this season but Wichita State, Brad, opened that uh, stadium on Saturday, handily defeated Houston, and they had over 7,500 people uh, come out to the game. And I was reading some of the reviews of the all of the different things they have for people there, the way the stadium's so much different. If you were used to the old um, Lawrence Dumont, it's very modern, um, very fan-friendly, and all the reviews were, were pretty positive and We'll see what happens when uh, when the wind surge comes. But what did you think of Riverfront after setting empty last year, finally getting some real baseball? 
Well, you can't just sell baseball anymore to, to, to families and to people. I mean, you could do that way back in the day with the NBC World Series and all that. But, you know, you have to build a stadium that is more than just baseball. It's interactive, you know, things for kids to do and whatnot. That, that might, that, I know that sounds maybe for some old timers like you and I just, just asinine. But that's also reality. <laughs> that's also reality. You know, kids just aren't going to sit there and watch a three-hour baseball game like they may be used to. So you got to be able to do some interactive, get, get them to the park early, have them stay a little bit late. So they're there. And from everything that I've heard, it definitely was a very nice stadium. It's, it's going to it's great for Wichita, great for the area. I, I can't wait to go down there and visit it, my, visit it myself. Yeah, I've only just seen it, you know, driving down, you know, Kellogg there just from a distance. And I, I've looked at some of it online as they were putting some of the final touches on it in hoping to, to use it of course last year um, but yeah I, I'd like to get down there and I, I guess the next place I'd like to take this you know the wind surge was going to be a triple a team last year for the Marlins and you know everything that happened last year and with the minor leagues getting downsized um, the wind surge ended up becoming now just a double a team um, or a Minnesota farm team now what do you think of the long-term viability of uh, minor league baseball we've seen it in wichita before it seems to go over good initially and kind of seems to fade as far as the support in time and, and franchises seem to end up leaving um, after you know that six to eight ten year period do you, do you think this version of minor league baseball in wichita will be a success it could, it could, and a lot deal you know has to do with ownership and and all that and and marketing. Uh, once again, you just can't sell baseball to to these uh, to to the fans anymore. And Lawrence Dumont Stadium just was that. That's all. That's that, that was its purpose was just there for baseball. There's really nothing else to do there. So it, it could, you know, uh, I, in minor league baseball. Let's face it, it's not really a. It is a results oriented business, but fans are going to come out. They, they, I think that they come out for more than just baseball. They come out for the experience and all that, to look at the future stars, et cetera. So wins and losses for a minor league team I don't think are quite as important, but it, it, will, it does help, obviously. And I think that, you know, minor league baseball done right, you know, I've, I've just – it, it can be so much fun, minor league baseball done right. I mean, look at the now, – now the Kansas City Monarchs, but the Kansas City T-Bones. I mean, they've been very popular in Kansas City. For, for a long time and to see that the fan fan base that they've built up there and I've been there before I couldn't tell you who two or three I couldn't t- name two or three players for the for the for the old uh, <laughs> T-Bones now the Monarchs but you know I love going there and just sitting and watching the game and having a dollar hot dog and some cheap beer with my dad and walking around the stadium and all that and it's it, there's a way to do this in Wichita I think there's a market and hopefully this is the time where it comes through I think uh, eventually I think wins and losses are going to be certainly a big factor if people continue to come out. We're talking, you know, four, five, six years down the road. But like you talked about, the fan experience, there's going to be a lot of interest initially. There, there always is. But I think of a team like that's been around, like the Toledo Mud Hens. You know, how long have they been around? They, they have that interactive experience. They have that almost a cult following, um, for lack of a better term. And I think that's what the wind surge needs to follow a model like that get the fans there, um, work hard at building um, a good team on the field initially, and then hopefully into a, a, a year-in, year-out competitive team for, um, for their title in the, in the league that they're playing in. And I, and I think it has a chance 
chance to work out. But I think in the end, it, it, I think in the end, it will still come down to wins and losses once the initial few years wears off. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just like anything else with sports. People come out to support a winner. That's pretty obvious. Uh, but still, minor league baseball can be so much fun if you, if it's done right. And as great as those some of those late Wranglers teams were that had a lot of the future stars with the Royals. And, and independent baseball can work too. It, it just it mm-hmm. didn't work in Wichita because, like I said, look how well the T Bones and the Monarchs have done in Kansas City. It's just five thousand fans a game sometimes. And it, it, if it can work in a major league city, independent baseball, there's no reason to think affiliated baseball can't work in Wichita. Definitely, and maybe if uh, you're old enough, like you and I are, to remember Brewster's Millions, maybe we can get a train track going through <laughs> the outfield or something there to have to have to take a break when the train comes through. If, uh, if that's a, I love that old movie, but yeah. So the wind surge, I believe it's right at the very first of May um, when they will get their season, um, and I'm sure people in that organization finally is a big word underway, and we um, we'll have to get out and. Uh, see a few games and see see how that works in Wichita. Um, so sticking with baseball, high school baseball continues to roll on. One of the, the big matchups last week, I didn't look at the rankings, but I believe Bueller and McPherson were right there, maybe 1-2, two, 2-3 two, in the rankings. They, they played a doubleheader um, on 95-9 last week and ended up splitting that doubleheader in two very competitive games. So um, Bueller baseball, really high hopes for them. They certainly – feel like they can be a state contender. So does McPherson. Let's just start with that matchup. What did you think of uh, Bueller and Max split in the double last week? I was a little surprised by the margins of victory for both teams. You know, Bueller won 10 to two behind a great outing by pitcher Reed Scott. And then McPherson comes back and wins 12 to five in the second game. So I was just a little, little surprised to see that kind of, um, those, those kind of scores, you know, from two of the top teams in class four, number one and number two. So I don't know if the rankings have come out yet if they, or if they've changed in any capacity. But, yeah, it was definitely a little odd, I thought, that the two games, you know, you're expecting two very close down the end ga- games, but uh, they were both kind of lopsided. So that, that was the thing that kind of stood out to me. When you mentioned Bueller and McPherson in the same sentence, anytime Bueller wins – uh, I think it's a great accomplishment because that is just their kryptonite, certainly in basketball and football. Um, so I was glad to see Bueller at least at minimum get the split. And and I think they've got, I think they've got the pitching on defense. I think they've got the whole package, Brad, from the, um, I've listened to some of Aaron on the radio going um, to and from places. And I, I just feel like that this, this Bueller team, especially like everybody missing last year, I think they are laser focused and I, I think they've got a great chance this year. Yeah, and they're offensively, they're just piling up the numbers right now. You know, 10 runs, 13, 21, 10, 10, 5, 11, 11. So they're just piling up <laughs> runs right now. And, you know, the thing is, is that their schedule right now is kind of spread out. Uh, it, it gets kind of more uh, packed later in the year. But, you know, they just played Wellington today, swept the doubleheader. Now they don't play for another week until they play collegiate. So they'll play that. Then they'll play circle. Then they take another week off before they play Augusta. So kind of a spread out schedule. That's kind of the nature of the beast in Kansas where you only get 20 games and essentially 10 doubleheaders. And they got some tougher games coming up. You know, they got uh, circle I know is usually pretty good. Augusta is usually pretty good. And Dale Garden playing obviously very good. So, 
you know, I think they're looking at definitely a top four seed come regionals, which would uh, give them home field advantage. Some good teams out there, though. Concordia is undefeated so far. Obviously, there's McPherson. Clay Center is usually very good. Circle. And a team to watch out for is the new co-op with Lions and Sterling. They're playing 4A because uh, they had to combine the enrollments off to a 4 and one start. So, uh, 4A is going to be – it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And I think getting one of those top seeds is going to be vital to try to avoid some of those teams kind of in the middle. If, if you're a three seed or a four seed, I tell you what, that's going to be quite the quite quite the uh, difficult task of getting to state this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm very intrigued as I never thought I'd see the day that Lions and Sterling would co-op for a sport. But uh, it's happened and so far being very successful – uh, looking at this week's Ad Astra schedule, I was getting ready to do Marion and Canton Galva. That game not happening, so my schedule got um, flipped to obviously Inman twice this week now, Brad. Tomorrow night, um, they're going to be at Sedgwick, and then on Friday, they're going to be at Mound Ridge in a kind of a rivalry game against a Mound Ridge team off to a, a really um, slow start. The last I looked, I think they're over right now. Um, we know what Inman um, – is capable of they split that big uh, doubleheader with Little River and two one-run games. I, they, again, they seem uh, laser focused. They've got a couple of couple of their pitchers are going to be Blue Dragons next year, and and that's that's the one reason. And that they're they're stuck in that really tough regional. They've got Little River and Ellis at the Ellis Regional, but I think that's the reason I'm so high on Inman Brad is I've seen that they are three four arms deep and very good arms and at 2-1-A I think that is the formula with the way they can put runs up that's a formula to go a long long ways well and they just swept Marion uh 11-5 and 11-7 if I'm not mistaken Marion's usually a pretty good team and I was looking at their schedule they're actually undefeated going into that uh doubleheader it's 4-0 we're not talking 16-0 but still Marion's got a pretty good reputation in the small class baseball. So definitely a couple quality wins there for Inman. Obviously the, the split with little river earlier this year. And, you know, I'm just re- really impressed with uh, what I see. I think, uh, boy, but just that, that uh, regionals, it's, it's like a mini state tournament and, you know, they got Sedgwick coming up uh, this week. Sedgwick's undefeated so far. So they're, they're, they're going to be well tested. Yeah, they are. And I was trying to find some of the rest of the regionals here. They finally got those posted on Keisha looking at one in, in class three, a Brad Kingman has got several of the area teams. They've got Cheney in there, Halstead, Haven, Kingman um, in that one. And then there's one uh, in council Grove that'll include Heston and Hillsboro. So maybe some teams kind of getting moved around a little bit, which is actually refreshing to see, you know, you're used to, everybody packed into that um, same reg- regional, anything there in class, those two in class three, a stick out to you. Well, I see it's going to make your uh, probably, probably upset some people, but I see collegiate and Trinity are in the same regional. They're both, they're both in Kingman. So boy, mm-hmm. and, and no matter how good that regional is, and it looks like it's good with Cheney, Douglas, Kingman, Halstead is usually decent. Boy, I tell you what, when you got collegiate in there, and even Trinity, who I know is only three and five so far, but they play a pretty tough schedule. I tell you what, that's that 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 is a piled, a stacked pile of of great bass, uh, great baseball teams. Yeah, it is, and it, it, you can't avoid it completely. And it's always going to happen at some level. But again, I'm glad to see that they did split some up. They kind of did it in two A with having 
um, Inman and Little River go up and um, north to Ellis and then Marion seem to um, grab most of the rest of our area teams where they will have, uh, let me get on the right line, Canton, Galva, Marion, Mound Ridge will be in there, Sedgwick, uh, Remington all in there. Uh, boy, I look at that one at Marion. I know Marion, uh, I was supposed to cover them. They got a makeup game. They're going to play Chase County tomorrow. I'll be very curious to see how that comes out. Mound Ridge is struggling. Right offhand, when you look at that, Wichita Independent is in there. They are typically very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Marion, I know Roger Schroeder very well. He always has good teams. He's just come He's come so close a couple of times to that state championship. Um, they'll be very competitive. Um, boy, Independent sticks out to me in, in that one. Yeah, Independence got a pretty good history of baseball down there, don't they, Scott? I mean, they just seem like yeah, a, they do. Yeah, they they've <laughs> had some good teams through the years, and uh, another one of those programs that uh, kind kind of like Trinity that may not always seem like that they have the best record in the world, but you know that they're going to be really tough to beat, you know, come postseason time because it seems like that they're almost always at state, and I, you know, they're off. And that, that, that's a pretty good regional too, Scott, with the uh, likes of Cedric and Marion in there. Um, they're, they're, mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you, it seems like uh, state baseball, the, the, the quality of caliber teams has really gone up, it looks like. Yeah, I think everybody, um, I think we're seeing a few more um, co-ops. You're seeing a, a little more of those slashes with some of these teams. Um, you know, we mentioned Sterling and Lions, um, schools that are wanting to, to get into baseball. And I think that's just making the competition that much better. And, and, and we're seeing it. And of course we get the benefit of it. Um, We get to call some of these fantastic games and um, I I like it. I mean, I, I like to see the the, the teams because Sterling wasn't going to be able to get a team of their own and that they're, they're going now with lions is great. I, 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 I really enjoy the co-oping for baseball. Yeah, and if, if it does nothing else, it's going to just increase your your staff size, your your the number of arms available to you. You know, someone like uh, a Moundridge, I mean, could we eventually see a co-op with them and maybe Inman? I, I, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I don't know. But some of these smaller schools that maybe are struggling with numbers, it's a possibility. I mean, could, could Canton Galva, you know, do a, a co-op if they're struggling with numbers with somebody like Hillsboro or Moundridge? Uh, it's possible, and it, it, it would be good for both teams. Um, you know, I think having you know a JV is important. If you only have twelve players or thirteen players, well, you probably don't have enough for a JV. You know, to have a JV baseball team, honestly, Scott, you're probably going to need somewhere in the neighborhood of what twenty players, maybe. Oh, oh, t- probably. I would say if you want to play a JV schedule, I think twenty has got to be right. the minimum. And uh, and and the only thing, yeah, that, and the only way that might happen for some of these schools is to start considering a co-op. Yeah, most those two one A schools. Boy, if you get 18, 18, 19 kids out, you've got a lot of kids right. out. Um, that's that's a really good size. And like you said, um, you start getting into depending on what kind of JV schedule. Again, you go right back to the amount of arms available with the pitch count rules and all of that. If you're throwing some arms on a on a Monday JV game, you're going to have less for that. You know, Tuesday Friday um, doubleheader. So yeah, you're you're talking if if you want to make a serious run at having a JV team and you're 3A on down, you probably are going to have to look at co-oping. And again, um, it's working in most situations that they've tried it. So um, why not? It just makes, I think it makes everything better. So uh, we'll keep track of uh, those games this week. Again, go to at and the sports page are 
our full schedule is up there. Again, we'll see Inman both on Tuesday at Sedgwick and then at Mound Ridge on Friday. Well, we'll get to a sport near and dear once again this week, um, soccer to Brad coaches, uh, referees it, has played it a lot. I, I was able to venture into KCAC soccer last week with the um, semifinals of the KCAC postseason tournament. Um, saw a couple of good games. I really, really, really enjoyed the 2-3 matchup, Kansas Wesleyan and Avila last week, Brad. And people think I'm crazy because probably one of my main complaints about soccer is there isn't enough scoring <laughs> um, to keep it interesting. And this was a one nothing game. It was tied at halftime. And I, I think I said twice, I said, don't be deceived by this score. I mean, there was action-packed. It was chippy. It was physical. Um there was great saves by the goalie, uh, the goaltenders. Um, and then of, of all things, this had the, all the earmarks of an overtime game. Kansas Wesleyan crosses the, the center line and um, one of their better players launches about a 45 yard kick, which, you know, I was expecting, okay, going to try to get it in that penalty area, get a header, maybe get a rebound. And the longer that ball stayed in the air, Brad, and the goalie kept backing up and backing up and backing up. She jumped as high as she could off her fingertips just under the crossbar for the only goal of the game to give Kansas Wesleyan the win. It, it, it just was fascinating to see that that kick is what won a game that was one nothing. It wasn't a rebound. It wasn't a, um, you know, an advantage or anything like that. It was a 45 yard kick, but it, it was fantastic soccer there. Well, uh, a well-trained women's soccer uh, player will know that if you're going to shoot from distance like that, they say aim for the crossbar. Why? Well, because the, the, it, it, I think it's eight feet tall. And the fact of the matter is not many female goalkeepers are going to be able to get that high. So, of course, if you hit the crossbar, it's not going not to matter. But if you get it just under that crossbar, it's going to be very difficult for most female goalkeepers to save that ball. So that's why they they'll they'll in practice run the crossbar drill. Just try to see you know try to train themselves to shoot it just under the crossbar, right at the crossbar. And there's a method to that madness. And I, and I give the the player who who took that shot from distance all kinds of credit. I'm sure that's what she was probably thinking. You know, if I can just get that ball just underneath the crossbar, it's going to have a good chance of going in. Yeah, it's probably a one or two and fifty sure. shot. And I mean, she hit it just had a little bit of that overspin. You could see it curving back in. I mean, it was it's amazing to see the game. Um, decided like that because that came, I believe, with eight eight thirty seven or eight twenty seven left in the second half, and it it turned out to be the game winner. But just uh, it was fantastic. And now this week, I've got uh, I am available for the semifinals and finals. So this Wednesday at Striker, we'll see weather depending if we're outside or inside. And thank goodness we were inside last <laughs> Wednesday. It was miserable with the rain and everything. Um, the the first game will be number one seeded, and I believe I saw ranked number two in the country. Oklahoma Wesleyan takes on the four-seed friends, and then a very intriguing game. Uh, the Sterling men having their best season in a long, long time. They are the two-seed. Uh, they'll take on the three-seed Mac in the second game at 7 o'clock. Uh, Sterling won that regular season matchup against McPherson. And, of course, Oklahoma Wesleyan, who was undefeated in conference, um, handled friends what's what's your first reaction will we see the top two seeds meet on saturday i think oklahoma wesleyan's really really good and they've they've just shown it time and yeah. again just how powerful they are for 
what they've accomplished this year, being ranked number two, I mean, wow, you can't help but think, but, you know, that they won't advance. I think that McPherson-Sterling game, though, that's an enticing matchup right there. You know, you got two very good teams going head-to-head. I know some of those McPherson college players, they got some local talent on there. And uh, that, 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 I'm glad they put that as a feature game because I think that's got potential to be a very, very good game. That, that, that's one of those games, Scott, where I think if there's an early goal in that game, because I think early on you're going to kind of see maybe kind of a tight, tense kind of deal, teams feeling each other out, not wanting to make that mistake. But that's also one of those games where if someone can get an early goal, we could see a, like a wild 4-3 to three kind of game. And I think that would be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. And, and I think people have told me that um, the Sterling men's soccer, they've never been to the host site for nationals. And again, soccer works the same way as uh, basketball qualifiers. Your regular season champion and your tournament champion qualify. And if those are one and the same, say Oklahoma Westland wins this tournament, then the regular season number two finisher, which would be Sterling, would also go. So they know if they meet Oklahoma Westland on Saturday, they're already in. But I'm sure they would love one more chance at, um, at the Eagles and a chance to really prepare themselves if, if they can move on. Oh, absolutely. To if they get the chance to play Oklahoma Wesleyan, I mean, it, it's they're playing with house money at that time. I mean, it doesn't really matter if they w- win or lose because they know that they're in. So they're playing with house money. If they can go out there, play loose, and go out there and, and you know, I, and I'm sure that they're, they're, they'll, they'll come up with some kind of uh, – some kind of strategy to try to neutralize Oklahoma Wesleyan, but they're going to be a very loose if they can get that uh, victory and go out there and enjoy it. And, or if, if they get the chance to play them, you know, they're just going to go out and I think they'll enjoy the opportunity and really prepare for the national tournament. And it's just uh, like you said, you know, they take all the suspense out of it, take care of McPherson because, you know, McPherson goes out and wins that game. Then all of a sudden Sterling is becoming, you know, a big McPherson or a big Oklahoma Wesleyan fan on Saturday. Yeah, they had the same conference record, which, of course, first tiebreakers head-to-head, and Sterling won um, the head-to-head. So McPherson will certainly have um, some revenge on their mind. But everybody that saw Sterling at home on Saturday beat Ottawa 4 to nothing. they said, just like you were talking about, they seemed to be very loose, having a good time. They didn't seem like they felt any pressure. Um, so I think they're going in with the perfect mindset um, coming off of a really good win. And again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to both of those games, but especially the, the, the feature game, as you mentioned. Yeah, seven. it should be a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully the, the weather, even though they, they had the great indoor facility there, I'd just like to see them out in the elements and uh, just going out there and provide it. it. It should be a great night of soccer. I think it would be better outdoors, but hey, it'd be better just to get it over with and not have to postpone it. So if they have to go indoors, that's fine. I just hope that they get the chance to play outdoors. As long as I'm indoors in some capacity at either field, I'll be happy. So, uh, again, those will be 4 and 7 o'clock Wednesday on the KCAC Sports Network. Well, another interesting sports story I thought I'd get your reaction on. I just saw it this morning um, in college softball, Brad, at North Texas. Um, they had a pitcher, Hope Troutwine. I believe I'm pronouncing her last name properly. She had a perfect game this weekend against Arkansas Pine Bluff. But the thing about it, Brad, it was a perfect game. It was a 21 strikeout perfect game. And it's believed to be, they went back a long ways to be the first ever perfect game in college softball with every out being a strikeout. And she faced 21. She 
had 21 of them whiff and has that first ever perfect game with every out being a strikeout. You know, I've seen a lot of softball. I've never seen. I might have one that actually trumps that here, Scott. Uh, Way back when uh, Bueller actually had a pretty good, um, uh, about a two year good run of softball. And it was right after that where Andale Garden Plain played Bueller and Andale Garden Plain had a girl named Sydney Eck was her name. And she, against Bueller, struck out in in a seven-inning game, struck out 21 batters. She did not throw a perfect game. She did not throw a (laughs) no-hitter. Well, she threw a no-hitter. I'm sorry. She threw a no-hitter but did not throw a perfect game. There was actually someone who reached base on a drop third strike. And then the next girl, like, grounded out. So there was only one ball put in play. So she struck out 21 but did not throw – a, uh, a perfect game or or a uh, she did throw a no hitter though so she at least got that but that was just weird so but how about that I and mean, that's just remarkable to to sit down every single batter and not, and not have a single ball put in play I saw Sydney Eck and that team play and I also saw Bueller at the state tournament but I'm I don't remember that I saw that matchup I know there was a year Bueller yes. won their first game advanced to the semifinals, but I don't I don't believe that they played Andale Garden Plain. I'm, I certainly should remember that. They beat that Silver I Lake, I think, that. at State Bueller uh, did that year. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, that, I, when I saw that come across, I thought, what that, that that's amazing. I mean, there's been more strikeouts in games. That's because they went extra innings. I mean, there was one that had, I forget how many strikeouts, but it was like a 16-inning game or something like that. But um, to face 21 – Strikeout twenty one at major college um, softball. That was that was pretty fantastic. I've been a fast game too. I, I imagine as well. And I, I'm always yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the beauty of a well pitched uh, softball game. Sometimes is uh, a well well pitched doubleheader. You can be out there in three hours. Yeah, I believe it was either Sydney Eck or Carly Schmelzer was another pitcher right in that same era for Andale Garden playing. I saw strikeout. I believe fifteen in a row. Um, up there at uh, in Salina one year, I got to cover a, a few of those really, really good Andale Garden playing teams, and and it is fun, especially if you get two pitchers like that. I mean, you're you're talking four and five minute innings, half innings. I mean, it's a ten minute inning. I mean, that that's it's unheard of in baseball. You might have only seen three or four batters <laughs> in ten minutes sometimes. In certain yeah, and beyond that, uh, as soon as someone gets on base, I mean, it's just like yeah, the anticipation soars in those games. I mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a small ball guy, and I love softball and well-played softball, but nothing beats like those really tight one-to-one, zero-zero, two-to-two kind of games. So congratulations to uh, Hope Troutwiner at North Texas for um, setting what they think is an all-time record, 21 strikeouts, striking out every batter she faced. Uh, well, that is uh, all of our uh, regular topics for this week, Brad. Unless you have something to add, we'll move on to our. No, final I'll go thoughts. ahead and start with my final thoughts here, if that's okay, Scott. Um, got the uh, word today that Hutchinson Community College men's basketball coach Steve Eck is stepping aside. Uh, he's he is retiring from Hutchinson uh-huh. Community College. I, I am not a hundred percent if it's. You know, he's been a state employee for so long if he's just, uh, you know, eligible for retirements and all that fun stuff. But he is retiring from a- from HCC after 12 years. And, you know, one of my favorite stories I wrote as a journalist was before Steve Ack coached his first game for the Blue Dragons. 
everyone who's around South Central Kansas knows who Steve Eck is from his great glory days at Wichita South, where in the span of 10 years, he lost 15 games total. I mean, he had some remarkable teams at Wichita South, and then he had some good teams at Butler Community College. Then he had success at Cowley Community College. And then he comes over to Hutch. I just remember thinking, who is Steve Eck? We all know that Steve Eck's this basketball coach. I mean, he's he's synonymous with success in Wichita area basketball. But I just started thinking, who is he? And I just remember spending one night about three hours with Steve Eck, just, just talking to him, interviewing him, talking to him. And we he shared some great stories with me. I, I really got the feeling that this is a side of Steve Eck that nobody really knows. For example... You know, he was a proficient marathon runner at one point. He was telling me a story about how they altered the parade or the run route at the Prairie Fire in Wichita one year. They decided to run it. I think if I remembered my story correctly from Derby to to Hutchins or to uh, Wichita with the anticipation that there's going to be a strong south breeze. Hey, let the runners enjoy it. You know, running from Derby to Wichita using a strong south breeze. Well, an unexpected front came through and shifted the wind to out of the north. So they ran from Derby mm-hmm. to Wichita against a strong north breeze. And he was also telling me a story about, you know, he's a health nut. And, you know, even if he goes to the state fair, I was like, well, what do you eat there? And he goes, well, I just eat turkey legs. I just take the skin off the turkey and I eat that. And I was like, oh, okay. And I asked him, there's got to be something that kind of, uh, you know, that isn't healthy that you have a, a weak spot for. And he laughed about it. He was telling me about his weakness for Frosties at Wendy's. And uh, he would even tell me that if it didn't pass his uh, very strict chocolate test, that he would actually put some Hershey's chocolate syrup in it. So uh, he just 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 had a great conversation with him. And I just remember being so proud of that story, showing a side of Steve Eck that I thought very, very few people knew. Now, his success has spoken for itself, Scott. He went to the NJCAA tournament again this year, by the way. They did get in that large, so his career at Hutch is not quite over. He's got one more tournament to coach him. But he took uh, taking them to the national tournament for the first time in 16 years, seeing that packed sports arena was something else. They lost that first game that first time he took them to the nationals. But then in 16, they make it to the championship game. In 17, they win it all. And I just sitting courtside when they won that national championship and seeing over 6,000 people screaming at the sports arena, just harkening to the glory days of junior college basketball. What Steve Eck has done and for Hutchinson Community College basketball can never be short-sighted. I really think the guy deserves something in Hutchinson to be named after him. He would blush and he would say, no, Brad, that's not necessary. No, it is necessary. What Steve Eck did in Hutchinson Community College for men's basketball is is remarkable. And I really hope he gets his due uh, at some point with something named after him. Yeah, man, that was so small in stature. And you see him up next <laughs> to his players as far as his overall size, but the amount of respect that he uh garnered from not his play not just his players but all the the schools that he and uh, the parents and the administrators and everything i think speaks for itself he's just been so well respected and like you mentioned the the success is almost unmatched from every place that he went i, I mean i did see that you know cali had beaten them i had not heard yet if they had gotten in that large so um Never know. Maybe he's got um, one final ride left in that resume. Yeah, it would be something else. They have uh, uh, they're the 16 seeds, so they got to play the first game of the tournament against Kilgore. And Texas obviously has good JUCO basketball. Then they would they would win. They would get the top seed. But still, I tell you what, I I wouldn't count on the Stevac coach team. Uh, You know, those those guys are going to be playing like heck for them to try to see if they can get them out. You know, with a special postseason run. And I certainly wish him nothing but the best. I've seen rumors about. 
where he might end up. And again, uh, he said he was retiring from Hutchinson Community College basketball. And I saw a story in the Wichita Eagle. So if you're ready to have your mind blown, Scott, this isn't official, but the Wichita Eagle is reporting that he will be the next head basketball coach at Cape and Mount Carmel. Steve Eck back in the City League. Uh, I was hoping you weren't going to say friends because I know they've got a coaching opening. I thought, oh, no, no, no. no. We're playing against Steve Eck every year. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised, Brad. I just think that he's got it in his in his blood. And he just I think he's probably just ready for a, a new challenge. And, and some coaches – some well, a new challenge and to step back a little bit from the grind of of college basketball. You know, he did right, right, and, and yeah. he, he's sixty five, so he's not young. But you know what? A sixty five year old can coach a good five or ten years still. So, and I, I think that's what Steve Eck is probably going to be doing, if that report is correct, and he is at Cape. And boy, how much more fun is City, City League basketball going to be? <laughs> that, yeah, that will be a. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun if that if that truly does come true. Well, I'm going to go to a completely different sport, maybe a different area than um, people would expect this week. I'm going to go the Masters um, for golfing fans was played um, for the second time actually in five months because with COVID last year, they, they moved it for the first time ever to the fall of 2020 and then back in its normal April spot this year um, was a fantastic tournament, um, first ever Japanese male golfer to win a major Hideki Matsuyama won the tournament but I want to go to the very start of the tournament Brad I love the honorary starters that come out on the early early in the morning uh, Thursday morning um, it was it's been a lot of different men over the years currently it's Jack Nicholas and Gary Player two two legends of the game but this year was something very special which uh they had Lee Elder um, come and be the third honorary starter. Um, for those who do not know, Lee Elder was the first ever black man to qualify and play in the Masters Tournament, um, which occurred back in 1975. And he was kind of a, a pioneer, like almost like the Jackie Robinson of professional golf. He, he was the first... Uh, as we mentioned, to play in the Masters. He did miss the cut that year. Um, He was the first black man to play on the Ryder Cup team in 1979. Here's a really good one, Brad. He played in the 1971 South African Open on the behest of Gary Player as a special invite during the height of apartheid. Imagine that, going into (laughs) South Africa and playing in a golf tournament in 1971. But but he did that. Um, well-documented stories of, of the racism and the crap that he put up with. Uh, he, the year that he played, that first year at the Masters, he had to have two different um, hotel rooms that he was staying in because of the, the hate mail and the death threats he had been sent that he had to keep moving around so nobody knew for sure exactly where he was staying. Um, so I, it, was, it was just fantastic to finally see him um, recognized for um, for what his accomplishment was. If you you know, um, there was several others. There was a uh, Charlie Sifford, um, Calvin Pete that came shortly right at the same time or after him that were very good um, African American golfers on the PGA Tour. Um, Tiger Woods has mentioned him numerous times that he would not have had the opportunities 
that he has had as a professional golfer if it wasn't for Lee Elder. So I was really happy to see it. And the other part, Brad, shame on the Masters that it took this long. When he had when he went to the first tee on Thursday morning, Brad, he had a portable oxygen with him. He's lost an eye. His health is very poor. Um, you could see that was obvious. And that it took the Masters this long – and with their track record over the history of their um, exclusion of not just minorities, but also women, is it's horrendous. It's a horrible history that they have had um, dealing with minorities and women. And it took them this long to do this. I, don't get me wrong. I'm very – I was thrilled to see it. Shame on them that it took yeah, them Yeah, and it, it really is unfortunate that sometimes you have to try to correct correct a wrong or whatever it is you want to say and at least it didn't happen to you know too late where they're bringing you know one of his descendants along to 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 do it for him or something like that i just i just think about buck o'neill and just you know what happened to him and not getting in the hall of fame and it's it's obviously too late now and it, it you know you just don't want to wait too long to to do the right thing and the masters made it barely that's good it doesn't bring back the fact that like you said it was probably 10 to 20 years too late, but better late than never. But still, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's really unfortunate it took that long. Glad that they, that certainly did. But, uh, yeah, you, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Scott. Yeah, 16 professional victories for Lee Elder, four on the PGA, um, four um, in national professional tournaments, and eight more on the Champions Tour when he joined that. So um, he was a fantastic golfer in his day um and there was even a an article that said had the times been different he could have been um one of the big three when nicholas and palmer um, were really battling there in the late 60s early 70s that had he been given um the opportunities he 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 could have joined that kind of elite company but i was uh i was i was really really happy to see that happen um, at the masters it's 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 a tournament i love and then it was a, it was a great tournament too but that was that was very fitting to have that um so uh, do you have anything I, I do else not, for scott, this uh, week I'm, I'm feeling kind of inspired by your words there. i'm like yeah that, good good stuff there scott really that that, that that was a good uh monologue there all right well as always um we will keep track of all the uh the sports this week again if uh, i'll have kcac soccer four and seven o'clock on Wednesday on the KCAC Sports Network, Tuesday and Friday, uh, In Minute Sedgwick, In Minute Mound Ridge on uh, the Ad Astra radio stream. So if you you want to tune into those differing sports, you can um, get online for those. And then that soccer championship Saturday at one. But for this week's View from the Press Box, for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.